distracted this week but i think melissa's gonna pull me through today because um (laughs) just some personal family stuff but i'm definitely like i feel like i just finished rule of wolves and Mm -hmm. um finally like the conclusion to um my to the duology of king of scars by lee bardugo but otherwise what have you been doing what have What's been going on with you? Um, like I wish something more exciting. I've just been working uh, pretty aggressively the last few days because like a, a small hiccup at work, but like <laughs> I put off reading. <laughs> I didn't well, I didn't put off reading. It was just like at the end of the day, I was like, my eyes kind of hurt from the computer. I don't want to read. And so today I read the last like 200 pages of the book. I don't even know if I can say like the last 200 pages, if it's 200 pages, I don't know if it constitutes like the last, it's just right. like this kind of just like the second half of the book pretty much. Right. Right. Um, well, good. Because no, that was... part's pretty fuzzy to me. So <laughs> <laughs> no, the ending is like, the ending is very clear in my mind. So this was the struggle is that I had started it and then an event which we'll talk about more fully in a moment to happened. And so I had to put it down because I mean, I cried and I did not like it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure like, I don't, I haven't told you yet what it is and I'm sure you know what it is. Um, but then I, I could not have anticipated what was going to happen this week. And so I really screwed myself over by putting it down because there was even a part of me that was like, what happens if I don't finish this today? Yeah. Like we have to have this episode recorded today. This is the last possible day for us schedule wise to record this episode. Yeah. If we can't do this, this is on me. And that like gave me the drive to continue yeah. to, to try yeah, on. Cause you never want to be the one, you know, exactly. That's, we, like, and we've talked about up. this. Is that like anytime we have to reach out to each other to like reschedule or push an episode again, like to like push recording, it like kills us because we don't want to be the burden to the other person. Exactly. Like we don't want, we don't want to be the one that's like, that's holding the podcast back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Trying to think about like other stuff that's been going on in my life. Oh, Seymour. Okay. Seymour had a very big day today. So last weekend we had a Halloween party and he met some of the party goers. He did not enjoy it. He did not like that situation. Um, He very aggressively asserts his own boundaries, which I respect him for. I heavily respect him for that. Yeah. Sometimes a little too aggressively. And sometimes when he's imposed on your boundaries and he's like, you're invading my space. And you're just like, well, you're on my lap. Yeah. I, I didn't put you there. <laughs> like, this is um, my lap. Yeah, this is my lap. You don't bite me. Yeah. I will bite you. I know. Um, Bunny do- yeah, Bunny does that. Yeah. Um, but today he met some new people. He did not bite or scratch anyone. He just sniffed them, nuzzled his head a little bit on them, and then went on his way. Yeah. He was a very big boy. <laughs> We're so proud of him. <laughs> 
Oh, Seymour Butts. I know. He's my little man. He's a cute little man. He is. And he's probably going to... We don't know if he's going to get that much bigger. So he, he was born in April. What does that make him? Like seven months now? Yeah. Close to about seven months. And he's still a tiny guy. Yeah, it takes, it takes him about two years to really get to full size, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Um, but they can like... I mean, girls can like conceive in six months. Yeah. Before yeah. they're full grown. <laughs> um, but... It's probably so he's about half the size of Fran at the moment, Franny, the other cat. Yeah. And he definitely had a growth spurt. So after because for those people who don't know, Seymour was found in a barn, abandoned, which is likely because he didn't know how to eat without biting. And he still kind of doesn't. Um, if he smells something he likes on your fingers, he will take it like a tickle chomp. Yeah. Um because he was found in a barn like he had health issues at first he was just covered in fleas he we find we found out pretty like a couple weeks after uh because they got him when he was only really about two or three weeks old because the woman couldn't keep him so it was like if if i give you this kitten you have to like take care of him and so at first we couldn't even take him into the vet and so after we took him into the vet we found out like he had worms um he has cystitis and anxiety yeah he's really not doing well but he's thriving now that's so good. it was shortly after like the worms went away and he got rid of some of his anxiety that he really started putting on the weight and he started growing really fast and he's so food driven is actually funny sometimes yeah he's learned where the food goes when we're done with it which is the trash can so and so his, if you open the trash the can, he's, yeah, if you open the trash can while he's over there, he'll like stretch up as tall as he can go and like put his arms and his paws on the edge of the trash can and try his like darndest to look inside because he knows that there's just like leftover food in there. He's a menace and I love him. Yeah, my, we have these, we have these like poles while they're mm-hmm. like um, pipes, exposed pipes. I don't know. I think yeah. it's an old building. It's heated by yeah. like water or something. And there's one in our kitchen. So our kitchen is always super hot. Like even in the yeah. summertime, these pipes are like really hot. So we always have the window open, but it's like right in the, like in the corner and it's just big enough that bunny can like curl up next to it. Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm like, you're going to burn yourself. Cause it gets kind of hot. It's not hot enough to like catch fire, but like, I don't want her to cook. Like, I just, yeah. like, <laughs> like you'll cook yourself, but like, maybe it's like too fat to fit back there. Oh. So it's oh. like the only place bunny, like is like no one else, you know, but it's right. Yes. That particular spot is next to their food bowl. So it's like, just perfect. Perfect. Because yeah. in the morning when I'm making coffee, it's just like food. I'm like, no, we've been through this. It's only at night you get fed. I'm getting my coffee and you're just going to (laughs) watch. Yeah. 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 Well, we are back for what is it? Episode 14? No, 15. Episode 15. 15. Yeah. Or I think it's 16. No, I don't know. It's 15. She says it's 15. I believe it's 15. (laughs) And. Before we get started, though, you can find us on Instagram and at InBedWithBooksPod. 
Uh, we're also on YouTube. You can find this and you can see our faces as we talk. And that's in bed with books podcast on YouTube. And then we have a website if you're ever interested in other shit that we do, because we do do lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about rule wolves today, which is the second in Lee Bardugo's duology of King of Scars. We talked about King of Scars last week. It was such a good book. Yes. How did you feel about this one? I love this one. I think I've talked about this before, but I absolutely love a good battle scene. And that's Mm -hmm. in anything that is in books, that is in movies, that is in television, not in real life, because I (laughs) have feelings about that. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) because I live in suburbia. Um, But like a really well done battle Mm -hmm. will really send me like emotionally over the edge and in the best way. So like, for example, when I saw Avengers Endgame, I sobbed through the last like hour of the movie yeah. because the battle scene, that final battle scene was so well done, so well choreographed, well shot, which like granted given the amount of money they funneled into this, of course it's going to be. But there were points in this book where I got, like, I guess in the battle scene specifically, which was several chapters, let me, my actual reading journal over here it was several chapters i got chills on my body reading some of these scenes because like the payoff was so good yeah i could not wrap my head around it sometimes i was like (laughs) so overwhelmed (laughs) there was there was one spot when i wanted to scream in a good way like i wanted to yell yeah so so how about you how'd you feel about it (laughs) No, that's good. Um, I, I liked the last one better. Yeah. Um, this one was, um, and I, I was trying to, I'm trying to kind of figure out why, like, you know, what, what was I not like kind of, you know, gravitating towards like I was the first one and, you know, and I, I don't think it's fair to compare them, but that's kind of all you have. But I think like, um, you know, the first one we really got Nikolai's kind of arc, you got like, Zoya's arc you got like Mm -hmm. Nina and Han's arc and this one like was way more much more political and so you had a lot of new characters not only that I feel like there were there were definitive moments where I was like I didn't read Shadow and Bone so I don't know who these people are you know and then like uh so I just kind of felt like there are these characters that kind of came in and left and it was like, okay. So it was just kind of a little awkward. So if you've read shadow and bone, I I'm sure it was like really exciting, well, um, but I, I like, it, but like watching the show. Yeah. Like yeah. I, like, I, I think like when, when they bring in Alina and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, well, I, I know well, I'm, about. well, I mean like Kaz Stecker, like the, that. Oh, Kaz Brecker. Yeah, like, oh yeah. No, that was whatever. Um, <laughs> that's six of crows. Okay. Yeah, but no, I sorry. Yes, but same, same point. No, he, I see he's that, in yeah. Shadow and Bone, I think. But yeah, like, uh, uh, but I think isn't it this the prequel to Six of Crows then, right? Because they're like, no. the, really? Because no, so it Six sounded of Crows like happens at the same time as Shadow and Bone. Because the ending was like, oh, like the queen 
I think has a job for the Crow Club series. Yeah. Because Six of Crows is when Matthias dies. No, that's fair. Sorry, continue. Continue. No, yeah. I mean, I like I I I really liked kind of the introduction to the different cultures you got to see into the, like the Fjordan like court, mm-hmm. the ice court. Um that was my favorite part of the book. I figured was, like I liked um Han and Nina and Rasmus and Jer- Joran. Jace and Jace. Joran. Who's Jace? Oh, that's something else I'm reading. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're kind of like the same character, though. Like, it, you know, it's very. No, that's fair. It's like. Doran. It's like when my grandma calls me all the other names before my own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. We're getting there. You got there. Yeah. Um, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she always says. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that was fun. It was really cool. I loved the opening scene with like uh, Queen Maki and yes. like all of her con consorts and like the the guard and everything yeah and like 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 their culture is like or her concubines you know like their culture is like really interesting she had like male concubines and like she's just super cool and then she ended up being kind of kind of not terrible yeah yeah um yeah so there was just, yeah, there was just like so much more to the world that you got to like see. Yeah. Um, like you got yeah. to see like all of these, you know, cause at first you just see the convent and like what they're doing to Grisha, but then you see what like, Ma- like the shoe are doing to the Grisha and it's just yeah. like compounds. So it really like contextualizes that it's not just a fight for Ravka, but it's a fight for the only country that Grisha can find like sanctity in. Mm hmm. There yeah. was one line, I think, so this time instead, I actually marked some of the pages so that if I wanted to, I could reference things. Going to be honest, though, I don't remember what everything uh, is marking because some of them I made last week before I took my extended break. But there's a line that Nikolai has where he he kind of just like point blank says, if Fierda wins, it means like the end of Grisha, basically because anybody who's Grisha is going to be rounded up, put to trial yeah, and then tortured or given to the shoe and tortured a different way. And that was when it really put into perspective for me, like, holy shit, like the, the amount of lives that are on the line, because it's not just then the lives in Ravka, it's also the Grisha that are hidden everywhere else in Ketterdam, in Fierda, in Shu, that are trying to just get by. I, I thought you were going to like the ice court definitely because I was like, a def- it kind of then has that both plot lines are feeding both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Because it had like the, the battle shit that really gets my blood going. And then it had the court intrigue, the kind of Nina yeah. navigating and orchestrating well, Rasmus and, and, and Hannah. Yeah. And like, and her, um, like going to try and get like steal something from, uh Jarl Brum's like office, office and then finding like- Magnus and like yes. that was really cool and then running into Joran yeah. it was like that yes. was really fun oh my gosh the conversation she had with Joran yes was so sweet and then the like the progression from realizing from his ba- from him basically confessing to being Matthias's killer to the very end when he 
he kind of can only seek solace in her for those tiny moments. Like he's, he's helping her. He's protecting her in a, in a, a way. And I think he knows a little bit that it's not just that he's protecting her from like your all brooms, like ego games, yeah. but she basically confessed to him who she was and he didn't say anything when she attacked yeah. him. And then like, she's like, she got the bone. He, I had to read that part multiple times. Cause I was like, wait, that didn't just happen. Like I reread what she said. And then the line where she's like, his hand covered my hand at the dart so that people wouldn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. He knew who she was because they knew that the bone render Right. That the the like the mythologized girl Nina Zenik was the only one who could do that. And that Nina was the one that loved Matthias. Right. And so I think also in that moment when he realizes just like how angry she is about Matthias's death, it proved to him as well that Nina didn't like put a spell on him. She didn't trick him or anything. Like they loved each other. Yeah. And that's when like your all rooms, I don't know, like brainwashing broke. Mm. Like that kind of like institutionalized kind of thinking that he'd instilled in the Driscoll broke for Joran. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause he was kind of on the brink. Yeah. Like it's during his, it's, like, it's as he's confessing what he believes to be his sins. Yeah. That he's like, wait, this is this isn't a deathly wish which this is a woman who's shown me compassion yeah and has a purpose like yes yes um there's so much in this book yes okay <laughs> sorry you're so excited i know i know well i, I finished it a little over yeah. an hour ago yeah yeah it's still <laughs> fresh it's still- it still is all fresh. Oh, this is something that I did specifically want to bring up because last time we had talked about the scene where Hana and Nina are tailoring Hana's face to look masculine so they, they can sneak in, right? Um, I had brought up that, like, I'm not sure where the line was, but, like, I didn't know how much of her crying when they tailored herself when they tailored her like that was like gender dysphoria but I did know some of it was like this is what my father wanted if it like how easy would life have been if I'd just been like this but we find out in this book like there is a large amount of gender dysphoria for her yeah it's not just that she wanted to like make her father happy it's like that felt right to her and the fact that she gets like Bardugo really had me going there. She really convinced me. I was so sad. I was like, of course, one of them has to die. They're gay. We can't have anything good with when it comes to that because one of them oh, always yeah, has I know. to die. I was, I was definitely like when, when Rasmus opened his mouth at the meeting, I was like, yep. Yep. I and I also that. knew Han didn't die. I was like, she couldn't have died. Something's going on. Something's going on. When he, there's, <laughs> I think it was Zoya points out, like, I think it actually might've been Nikolai, but the, Rasmus like reached for Nina's hand and Nina like retracted. And I was like, that's interesting. Rasmus wouldn't have done that. 
because yeah. Rasmus would have like the real Rasmus would have seen her as below him. He wouldn't have done that yeah. in a court like that. He might have on the ship. So like when they were on the ship together, when it was Nina's point of view, that made sense. Yeah. Cause I was like, of course, Rasmus is like high on his, his win over broom. But then I was like, Oh my God, she's alive. He's alive. Yeah. Um, so I absolutely love that Nina got her happy ending. And I love that Zoya's comment in her head is just the girl can't stay away from Fairden's. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, the food is awful, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like too that you don't really get a lot of what's going on in Han's head. Only just kind of like earlier, like throughout the book, um, you kind of just get Nina's take on it. Um, and as she's like being, getting dressed up and like puffed up for court and stuff, like for, what is it called? The thing? I forget what I think it's, it's called. the heartwood. Yeah. The heartwood. Um, she doesn't really express very much about it. She's yeah. just kind of doing it for duty. And I do think there's like a lot of, um, she's kind of taking on a bit of Nina in that way yeah. of like acting you know and so that was kind of cool to see them kind of like this kind of like silent taking on of like the person you love without like yes actually expressing it um yeah which I kind of liked so it was almost like a compliment to Nina without even Nina without her having to like really say anything um yeah yeah well also well so also while also like Nina not knowing if like she likes it or not like she was just like oh, yeah for a while was just like kind of was uh, sold on it a little bit so I had so this is related I promise I had mixed feelings about her mother Ilva for I mean a couple of obvious reasons but like also because on the one hand like very obviously she's just giving into a lot of Broom's bullshit like feeding into his ego and everything you know mm-hmm. but so when they're on, what is it, Leviathan's mouth, the naval base that they've got, and Prince Rasmus asks Hannah to come over and watch with him privately, which, like, I did not like, which is another reason why when, like, they tricked us with the death, I was like, fucking, of course. Of course he would do that. Um, But Ilva and Nina have this exchange that I thought really like it really changed my perception of Ilva um, because she's walking away and Ilva says like, basically she will be a princess. All will be well. This is after also. So that was another thing is Ilva catches Hannah and mm-hmm. Mila in bed and she doesn't really like chastise it, which I found to be interesting. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, as she's leaving, let's see here. What does she say? You can join their household. It's not unheard of if you're careful. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that's like, did Hannah actually get some of this fire from her mother? Is her mother playing this game as well? Because then she goes on to say, so Nina made herself nod and say, yes, of course, whatever Hana wants. Ilva's gaze was distant. 
what we want, what we want for ourselves and for our daughters has never been the question, only what we can bear. And so that really got me to thinking like how much of Ilva and her kind of like, I'm the wife of the greatest general in Fierda at the moment. I have to be the perfect feared and wife is an act. And how much of herself does she see in Hana and, and the fact that she just wants to be happy. She, like she doesn't care that she found them. She just cares that she's potentially endangering herself. Right. And she she's, doesn't try to separate them even. Yeah, she's like, she's, you can go to live with her, just be discreet. Yeah. She's just like, wants her to be safe. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of her, uh, like the role of feared in women is very much to be able to survive. There was definitely a strong theme of like, well, we like, we do this to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind I really liked that particular, um, exchange because yeah, it showed that she's not as dumb as all that, you know? Yeah. 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 Yilla or whatever. Like she, she knows, she knows that there's like, we all, like we all have our things that we need and want mm-hmm. that don't like go along with this like life. Um, and you know, as long as you're careful, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, exactly. She didn't um, tell her to give up. She just said like, just make sure to be careful and survive. Um, yeah. Because, because at the end of the day, it is her safety. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this level of like, Ilva recognizes that Nina slash Mila has been acting because yeah. she's doing it the same way that Nina acts and yeah, can that's a really good point. Hannah doing it because Brum doesn't like notice he it. He doesn't see it at all because no. that's all he's getting from all the women. Yeah. And that's why <laughs> Ilva's never been threatened by Mila's presence because she also recognizes that like whatever Mila may do, it comes down to whether or not her husband would do it, you know? Yeah. She kind of goes on in, in response to this kind of like Nina's internal. She says, survive this place, survive this life, find someone to protect you since you're not free to protect yourself. Sire children, pray for boys, pray the strange and willful daughter you raised will somehow find her way. Fear for her, watch over her, realize your fear and your watchfulness mean nothing when the storm comes on. Ilva couldn't see any other path for Hana and Nina wasn't sure she could either. So that's like that, that acknowledgement from Nina's point of view that like, like visually the way this scene is even set up is that kind of like Nina and Ilva are standing next to each other, just watching Hana walk away. Yeah. And so in this situation now they've become that same person, that same protective presence, unable to protect her, but she doesn't need protection as we see later on. Yeah. So yeah, she, um, pro- she proves it. She proves she, she does take care of herself. I just, I love that whole exchange. And I love that it's placed at the very beginning of the battle about mm-hmm. to commence because it's about to be like a very dark scene with Zoya just like decimating that mm-hmm. army, that attack. Um, and so there's something very almost heartbreaking seeing something that gentle just beforehand the kind of like the dichotomy of those those sides of it was really touching in my opinion yeah 
Yeah, I would agree. I'm so glad that they got the happy ending. I know. It it worked out really well. I mean, she Han was just like, this is the only way forward. Yeah. And it and it and she was able to just step right into it because it was so natural for her too. Mm-hmm. And she and I think tailoring. on some level, yeah. I think well, if she hadn't been practicing on herself, it wouldn't have been as effective, but it worked pretty well. Yeah. Um But I like that she was like, he has what did he say? Like something was different, like his jawline or his voice it was, was his lower. Lips. It was <laughs> yeah. his lips. Oh yeah, his lips. Because Nikolai. remember when she was like, "Keep the lips, leave the lips, leave yes. the lips." Yep. Because Nikolai is like, "Oh, that must be King Rasmus or Prince Rasmus. He's of average height for a feared and man, except he's got rather full lips." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "That's an interesting, uh, interesting point to yeah. make there, Nikolai." Yeah. <laughs> Um, also, I'm pretty sure Joran knows. I hope he does because if he's the bodyguard, like he can just be like their bodyguard. Right? Yeah. And At I love that he's going to find out. I love that. Like they were thinking of like, oh, like we'll change. I'll change my name, you know, yeah. and like it'll just like be this new identity, which is like really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. It was happy ever after i know and she, she like deserves it because she had a really rough going emotionally yeah. speaking well not only that but he but he gets to like han gets to like decide what happens to Jarl. yeah <laughs> like i kind of like that han exiled <laughs> y'all brew yeah her dad <laughs> yeah 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 that's fun yep that's poetic justice right there it is because like, she did the, or he did that to her. No, 100% the fucking like, convent. Like, yeah. and then also he looked Yarl Broom in the eyes and was like, I think you should go away for a little while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the absolute condescension, the absolute confidence that was just like waiting in her to say shit like that. Yeah. Uh, like so now before her, now she gets to be condescending to him. Like, yeah. God. Because even Rasmus never could. Yeah. But he, I love, yeah. He, Ra- Hannah, could. Rasmus really set up that moment for her really well. Yes. Because yes. he's just kind of this like wait, like in and out kind of character that's just kind of like. like he, he doesn't have any real personal power. No, yeah. Um, and all he needed was like confidence and. Yes. Brum put in his place, you know? I think that was one of the, the kind of recurring things that I really enjoyed in this is you've got like Nikolai, who's a bastard and commands his people, even though some of them actually believe he's a bastard, command his people with more surety and more confidence than Rasmus can. Rasmus can only hit his servants, his subjects. That's the yeah. only place he knows power. Yeah. But then Nikolai, or yeah, Nikolai, but like Zoya knows true power she yeah. has true power but y'all broom only has it through a like an anti-grisha sentiment that he's been seeding as opposed to something in himself yeah yeah and so i love that kind of like the play on where true power lies whether it's in bloodlines or yeah people yeah um 
yeah, I, I liked kind of the the way that kept popping up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. You're good. Um, we can pivot a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just keep thinking about the final battle. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I need to get a little bit of that out. Yes. Um, go, so go forth. Point... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get myself situated. The point where I really did my like battle cry as in uh-huh. like, not like a scream, but like my battle cry, like I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was when like literally the line where, oh, I should have. I should have marked it. I didn't mark it. Um, it's at the end of the chapter where Zoya has saved Nina. They jump out of the the wall and she says something along the lines of like, and Zoya became the dragon. Yeah. Zoya released the dragon. And then I cried, like tears fell from my eyes because you've been waiting for that moment for her to like open the door. And yeah. I love that the door was just, the acceptance almost of intimacy yeah. of like a deep connection with people. And that's what she's been so scared of from the beginning Yeah, because time and time again, she's been shown that it's not necessarily that it's a point of weakness, but that it's a point of instability and insecurity. She wants to know that she can control the situation that yeah. she can save everybody, but to even attempt to do that, you have to know people. And you're not going to be able to save everybody. And so like that whole, the unraveling of that thought process for her that led into like them falling. And then I think it was like, like the catharsis of then her turning into the dragon in that part made me cry. Yeah. And then they jump back to you. Cause I also love the way the battle was written where you get like the multiple points of views and then it's jumping. I, I love battles that are written like that yeah um because then like you think Nikolai's about to die but you know she just turned into a dragon and so you're like it's fine she's gonna show up she's gonna show up and then people start kneeling because Nikolai they think their king's about to die before their eyes and then Zoya just pops out of nowhere yeah like Nina's strapped to her back full dragon and just (laughs) annihilates these flyers i think i ascended to heaven for a brief moment yeah just this the sheer like euphoria of of her doing what she needed to do of her doing what she felt like she needed to do like protecting her people yeah yeah because i think i think a lot of zoya's battle has been how how to go about that yes and um like like you just um, explained with Jarl Brom, it's not going to be necessarily being the general or yeah. like you can do a lot of good there, but it only begins that's, and ends with the king. And yeah, well, like, that's that position. not what gives her power. Exactly. She is that. Yeah. And so realizing that it comes from yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in terms of the question of personal power that comes up in the book, Mm-hmm. And not just in like a political context, but like in interpersonal context as well. You see that really well between like her and Jenya. Yeah. I think it has this, their, their relationship has this really beautiful way of 
showing the links that you'll go to to like protect the people you love because when they find out that the apparat has nina jenny jenny finally just says she's like i can't be the, the only one i can't be the last one left and so it's not even the fact that david died which is the point that i sobbed and had to sit down the book because of the way that they described like finding his body um but the fact that david died at the beginning of its of a war that could potentially cost her the rest of her friends at the same time that the darklings come back and is a direct threat to Alina. The only other friend that like is not within their group immediately. That was the moment I think that was essential to Zoya breaking down and finally opening the door was the moment Jenya like decided to say it because they'd been feeling it. They knew it. Even like Zoya has moments throughout the, the entire second half of the book where she talks about like, she wanted to tell Jenya how much they meant, or she wanted to tell Nikolai how much she missed him. But she's so scared that if like, she says this stuff out loud, that it's somehow going to make it real as mm-hmm. if it's not real, just through feeling it. And so I love that moment between them. Yeah. <laughs> because Zoya needed it. Like the moment when she gets called daughter on the yes. mountaintop where she's like, I didn't know I needed that. And now suddenly I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of this makes sense that she would um, feel like her connection or vulnerability with other people was a bad thing because of her need, her sudden need to leave what she always knew. Yeah. she was like well no one wants a solely general and yeah then, and then even just getting you know pretty much cast out of her community yeah liliana being the only exception to that 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 kind of ten, has kind of been her arc in this book is kind of that return to being to like belonging yeah well, cause like she even says, I didn't need my mom to call me daughter. I just like, mm-hmm. she just needed to know that she belonged because like, yeah, she rejected her parents and rightfully so. Yeah. Granted her father wasn't that terrible. He seems like he tried for the most part, but when you've got two miserable parents like that, it doesn't matter how much you try. If there's still one doing what her mom was doing to you, they're both at fault, like in that situation. Mm-hmm. along the way she'd also disconnected herself from her culture and like in that moment she realizes how much she missed it mm-hmm. and so then later when she's like trying to she's almost trying to get them to vote against her when Nikolai proposes her as queen yeah and and then she's like would you take a Suli general and I think it was, we find out later it was Joran who said yes first. Well, I think it was, I was just about to bring up to Count Kerrigan. Oh, it was Count Kerrigan for that one. He yes. was the one that really rooted for her, which I was like, fu- like it made me, yes. it really felt full circle. Cause you're like, okay. Like he has like a good, like he has this purpose now. Like yes. his whole character now has like and- a good <laughs> His character is basically that he just like worships the ground that she walks on. Yeah. Which I love for him. But also it's not empty. 
Like yeah. It's not empty promises. He's, he's actually doing the yeah. work to do it. Um, but then I, I love that moment because in front of this whole room of people, when just a couple of days prior or a couple of weeks prior, it had felt like a weird confession to say she was Sully. She announces that she's Sully and she makes them accept it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really powerful. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of my favorite things about her character is the way she kind of navigates that like biracial mm-hmm. uh, tightrope, especially in like a position of power because her, um, what is it? Her mother says like, almost as like, as though she thinks it's a compliment that like, oh, you passed for Rofkin. It's okay. Yeah. Which like, is now a complex that she's kind of unraveling. And I like that we kind of see the beginnings of that. And you see that she wants to, but she's never really had a chance to stop and think about it because she's been like trying to save her country in a couple of different ways. Yeah. Not always the best way, but. Yeah. Like she's Suli and then she's Grisha. Like, you know, there's all of these things. There's all of these identities that she's Mm -hmm. grappling with. Yeah. And kind of like, instead of rejecting them all and just being Zoya, she's recognizing that all of them make up being Zoya. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I love, oh God, I I was going to write it down, but I forgot. But towards the end of the book, Nikolai says, describes her, uses the same describes her it's like literally verbatim to what he described her at the beginning of the first book okay and i'm gonna find it okay and we'll we'll come back to it because i do have a book that's actually because there are a couple of things and i can just i'll name them from the top of my head while you look um more than oh here it is (laughs) okay go ahead (laughs) i just turn it on and it's like there my kindle um there she was bitter and bracing as strong drink. Like, yeah, I was like, I've heard that before. He said that before. He loves it about her. Yeah. He's like bitter and bracing as a strong drink. <laughs> like I did the Brit like bracing. I like yes. that word. Yeah. That was cool. Yes. I love the way that he like weaves what would typically be like insulting yeah. things to call a woman. But you know that if you were to say it to her face, she'd also love it. Well, she loves to know that she like she doesn't fear into the hearts of men. She doesn't want decency. No, she doesn't want she doesn't. Well, she doesn't want him to call her like anything sweet, you know, like she wants him to be a little spicy, you know? Yes. No, 100 percent. They're a snarky couple. They are Um, a couple of times throughout the book. He says that she does something like a queen and so i knew that one way or another she was going to become a queen at the very end yeah i did read the last sentence me too so (laughs) (laughs) i knew she was going to be queen zoya and i was like okay when's it happening (laughs) yeah i or like or like she was gonna like marry him yeah 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 i love that he just like ceded his power to her though yeah yeah because he just kind of like didn't have much like faith in his yeah. self as king that I kind of felt like that was det- that motif was deteriorating and yeah. hers was getting stronger so I was like okay agreed something, something's well, gonna give here yeah he makes 
he has like several digressions throughout the book where he talks about like, could I give up the throne? Yeah. You know, it's looking a lot better now. Yeah. I uh, really could. Uh, and then I, I think it works out perfect because he didn't want the throne. He just wanted to help the country. Yeah. He just wanted to create a good Ravka. Yeah. Um, but also one of my favorite things kind of like full circle phrases that happens is that at the beginning of the book, this one at the beginning of the book, or I guess in, in the first part, at one point he is describing her. And I think it's like either the way she's breathing or the way she's looking like something very basic human kind of function. And he describes it as a benediction. Yeah. And I love that he uses that phrase because, well, aside from like the very obviously like, no, you're definitely not in love with her, Nikolai. Like this is before they've admitted it to themselves yeah. even. Um, but later when they're alone at the city hall, after he's like handed her the crown basically, yeah he kneels in front of her and she says he knelt in front of me like a benediction as though like in bened in benediction right I was like, just use the same yes you guys yes. are killing me killing me that was <laughs> oh they both just love each other so much because <laughs> even when he tried to propose to her underneath they uh like at the bottom of the airship her denial isn't even like that she doesn't like him it's basically just that neither of them like thinks they're good enough for the other yeah because they both like how does she describes him when she's flying back to him as a dragon as this golden presence this like yeah. he's just the this go shining, golden boy golden boy yes and she's like she's not flying to the battle she's flying to him yeah uh uh i'm sorry <laughs> it's so good it's so good it paid off so much better than I could have anticipated. <laughs> yeah, it was a very well-written uh, battle because like like you said, there was like a lot of different um, point of views, which is really the only way you can read a battle. Yeah. And and stay <laughs> and stay yes. for the show, you know? Yes. It's like I have to kind of see like, you know, because you kind of got um, a little bit of like Locust and like mm -hmm. them and then you had... Um, Zoya and what well, it started with uh Nikolai and you mm -hmm. and Jenya and stuff so it was like you kind of got like the ground you got like the sky then you got like kind of hovering above the battle like you got like these different yes. like levels of and then you had the from the uh was it the Leviathan like yes you know through the scope so it was like you just had a lot of different it was very um surely knew yeah. how to play the angles yeah yeah, very well. Um, and I like that we never really have to read anything repeated. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like one point of view drops off at the like arrival of or the, the first release of the demon getting rid of the bells. And then you jump over to the monk. And yeah. it's not necessarily that you get repeated, but you kind of pick up where we left off with the monk helping the shadow, the the nikolai's demon mm -hmm. keep himself together enough so that he can actually destroy the bells and then you get back to i think it's like zoya and nina and so then they're coming and then you get the arrival of like the cure good 
Um, and so it all like the, the chapters themselves are enough angles that you can piece it together while we're also still going through the action. Yeah. Which is, I wouldn't say it's easily done. Like it was very, very well done, very well orchestrated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. If, if you're ready to move on from the glorious battle, um, I mean, I, I will definitely come back to it. I'm sure yes. it'll, and I'm sure it'll cycle back. Through. Yes. Um, I wanted to talk about the dark lane a little bit. Yes. Cause, um, he kind of got a bit neutered at the end. He did like, and it was very interesting. She, she Bardugo like very much. I don't, I was trying to find the right word and then it just came the neutered. I think. I was like, is he, he becomes like humanized or infantilized or just like emasculate. Something is kind of stripped down and he doesn't seem as scary as he was. Um, And it's not to take away from what it's not to diminish what he did, Mm -hmm. but there, it was something about how lame he ended up being this vessel, you know, I, I fully agree. It is very anticlimactic. Like, you know, you, you his, the very name, the Darkling, like, yeah. it sounds like a very impo- like imposing force. And he, he kind of just whimpers at the end. It's very. <laughs> I think like, well, I think, I think Nikolai made this point kind of uh, early in part two of the book, but the Darkling really didn't know what he was going into i'm not sorry not in the in part two but in the like leading into the battle like yeah he thought he was going to go and make this big spectacle he was going to defeat any of their weapons he had not been around for the last several years he genuinely didn't know just how far the weapons had come yeah and so then when we get his chapter where yeah he's he's like he's like wrangling pitchforks and shit (laughs) yeah and he's like oh it'll do and i'm like child you don't know what you're up against yeah like we've already seen some of the inventions you haven't seen shit um and then when he when the bells are going off in that battle at um akurska akurska he has this moment where he's like i can't fight this i don't know what to do my shadows can't even get past it because of what the squalors are doing because like they were Mm -hmm. like intensifying the vibrations And I was like, that's why you can't have such big of an ego. Like the reason Nikolai's being a better king right now, a better ruler, is because he's acknowledging the threat and he's trying to like actually think of a way out instead of thinking a way for himself to get out. Like I do agree. And I think it was on purpose because we needed to see him not be. Yeah, no, I I think it was good. Um, um, Something Tolia said. He says, I have no queen, no queen and no country. I only, I have only ever had what I believe. And the Darkling doesn't believe in anything. He's an opportunist. He just he believes in himself. Believes in himself. He, he just um, acts on his own selfish purposes. And so there is very much a strong theme in this series of it's not necessarily who or like what, you know, I don't want to, sh- do I say political party or like, it's not, yeah. you know, 
um it's not a it's not a faction it's it's the it's the message it's the it's it's the individual it kind of it really like it scales it back and i felt i felt this with like the darkling was like the the other side of that of just watching like one what happens to one person just literally becomes shriveled up when all they believe you know he's a uh what is what is it called um i can't think of the word but um is it going to come Narcissist? To no, uh, it's okay. It's just someone who says the right thing to gain power, but charismatic. No, it's okay. Okay, damn. It starts with a D, I think, but it's okay. Um, but you know what happens when you are just chasing the yeah. ideas of the time? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say any names, but um. <laughs> And, and what happens when all of that goes away and really people just like yeah. need, um, the real thing is just yeah. this, it's a very sad creature, which is what he became yeah. at the end. And yeah. so, because, because at the beginning of the duology, he was very much set up as like this mysterious ethereal doom, like yes. had like a like lot this- of threat. And a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional, like, grip on people still, like, yeah. Jenya and, and everyone, like, everyone still was affected by, by him. Yeah. And so then for him to just, like, <laughs> fizzle out this way. Yeah. And I think they all needed to see that, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do love, like, all of that being said, Yes. I do love that he takes one of his last opportunities to like kill the apparatus. Yeah. Um, th- Cause they're all like, how did he even get in here? Like mean girls when they're like, he doesn't even go here. Like he doesn't have power. Yeah. Who did he slip past to get inside? And then he's just like, they can see him like moving his hands and his sleeves to make it look like the apparatus is like vomiting shadows. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's the perfect ending. Cause literally the last time we had seen the apparat when uh Zoya's like, just tell me how you're even still alive. Honestly, yeah. like how have you survived this long? I have written that in my notes multiple times. I'm like, why has nobody killed him yet? How is he still breathing? Yeah. Because lo- he changes his shit all the time, his loyalties. Yeah, like I like it shows how everyone else is growing like Zoya's noticed like realizing how like unthreatening he is like they're realizing that he's not as big of a threat as it goes on because they're getting stronger you know Mm -hmm. they get stronger and he gets weaker yep yeah so I think like the only other kind of thing I noticed was um like just kind of the theme about like weapons and like yeah like Nikolai talking about um you know he's a he's an inventor and someone like pointed out oh you're like the inventor of weapons and he says weapons of war that has been a necessity not a calling mm-hmm. and like he's he's always done it very reluctantly you know he's always like when does it end when does it end and it and it really reminded me of like the cold war yeah it will get to a point where it's just going to be kind of a standstill yeah um, not that it's kept us away from proxy wars, but yes, like but it in is... terms of like active warfare 
weapons like on the ground yeah yeah like david had that point where he's like once it's made it cannot be unmade and that's where he's like hesitance around the missiles was coming because he was like once we do this warfare cannot go back um and we had talked a little bit about like violence as revolution as like violence in response to violence and so i think there were definite points where like you're seeing the extent to which y'all room is willing to go particularly because we again we talked about it in in uh last week's episode where we just kind of commented on like y'all broom is testing on his own people this isn't that he's like picking grisha out of ravka and doing this is like he's stealing theridans and torturing them um but then in this battle what we see is that he's also he has no qualms about dropping bombs on his own people if it means that they'll take out ravkins yeah and that is one of those things where it's like they were in in my opinion in the right to create the missiles yeah because how do you respond to that i think they responded very well because granted they didn't have the missiles their response was to try to save as many lives as possible at that point but that's the threat is that like yes david and and nikolai are coming from this stance of we're creating this because we know that fierda is eventually it will exactly and and it might as well be in our hands yes so that we can use it in a responsible way yeah absolutely yes it's uh, like a necessary and like he says it was a necessity it's a necessary evil like yes yes the fact that like david's death is what kind of seals the deal for fierda like he i think i think it's nikolai has this line where he, he mentions like fierda will never know what we lost that night they will never know that the single life dealt such a damning blow to Ravka in this war but it has also pushed me to make the choice that I needed to make which is to begin the construction of these missiles yeah so they like sealed their fate just by throwing random bombs down on Alta. Mm-hmm. so yeah definitely um at at least help them make that decision (laughs) yes yeah now i I fully agree with uh with all of that and i think generally speaking he navigated it pretty well because i like the reveal that like yes he gave the kirch the submarine technology Mm -hmm. but he also gave the zemeni airship technology and then also all of the submarines that they gave to the kirch were embedded with little things so that anyone with this very special device could detect them like almost like a like a grease tracker (laughs) yeah like tracker um (laughs) i love so like generally speaking he had kind of like backup plans for all of these things he's like if i'm gonna yeah it's like the suli where it's like if they use suli labor to produce this this uh military base we always make a back door. Like that's what he was doing. Yeah. He was making sure to have a back door. And so the missiles were the first time when he's like, there is no back door. It is just violence. And he didn't know how he felt about that at first. Yeah. Um, I would like yeah, to talk. It, uh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, um, as long as making the weapons has more than a violent, more than one purpose mm-hmm. that's not violent. Right. Yeah. That would also yeah. help them in the war in the long run. 
mm-hmm. can kind of helps ease their conscience, I guess. Yeah. And like, you see that nowadays, like it's not new to say this, but during times of war is when technology takes off. Yes. Because it's by necessity. So like we saw yeah. with airplanes, it started out just a few years beforehand. It was just like paper on sticks yeah. going up like five feet or something and going like 30 yards and then you just hit the ground again. But then within like several, several decades, they're also landing on the moon. Yeah. And a lot of that happened because of the, the strides World that War happened II. in World War One, World War Two, and like post-World War Two when we got all of those scientists through vaguely ethical things. <laughs> um, but Magnus Opier, I loved his little subplot. Yeah. I think there was a kind of like seesaw between Zoya and Nikolai in terms of parentage. And like navigating that parentage because you've got mm-hmm. Zoya who knew her real parents and was highly dissatisfied with them and found like figures elsewhere. And then you've got Nikolai who thought he knew his real parents, but they were kind of dissatisfying. But then he gets an actually good dad in the end, even if it's just for yeah. like 10 minutes. Yeah. And I think that's another another part that ties into like the theme of personal power versus political power kind of stuff because he could have had a lot of pers- like political power if he joined Fierda and yeah. been like an active player in that undermining. But they had to like imprison him and he escapes. And the first place he goes is to his son. He has not met this boy, now a man. And he's showing more loyalty to him than the woman who gave birth to him and the man who raised him. And like, granted, he's probably angry that it wasn't actually his son but you still raise the kid. Yeah. More or less. You love a good dad story. (laughs) I do love a good dad story. And this one didn't die. This one didn't die. Um, And the the little things where he's like, when when they have the meeting, when, when he shows up just as the beggar and he's like, he laughed and I was startled because it sounded like me. There's like, yeah, those sweet moments. Cause it's almost comforting for him because he's been questioning his um i guess his place in in terms of like being king because he's like the lansov have never been good kings so even if i am claiming this do i want to do i want this parentage like yeah. why would he have saved magnus opier's picture if he didn't long for that better fatherly figure and even just in, in this small conversation that they have he sees the ways that he is actually like this other man and he sees like another way. Yeah. And it, it's kind of his way out. Yeah. It, it, it kind of finalizes his ability to let go of being a king. Agreed. That was an important scene. Yeah. I think that's the, the scene. Well, that's the scene where he, that whatever their, their like feared in word is for, um, the like charging at the opportunities, what gave them the idea to like break Stormhunt's or Sturmhunt's uh, blockade. And I think that's when he decided to concede the throne to Zoya. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. that was good. Yeah. And he's like, the only thing I ask is that 
you take care of your half sister. Like that's such a small price to ask from, from Nikolai. He would have done it in a heartbeat. If he'd given him enough time, he would have offered. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's such a golden boy. Yeah. He's a golden boy. He is. I like, I like that. Like Zoya needed to get like be put forth and he needed to like step back Yeah, or like sit back. I think that's... I kind of liked that. Like he was like giving her room. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a side note, but my uh, sister's writing her dissertation on um, like women in uh, uh, clergy mm-hmm. and how there's just not very many women. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she she um, says like advocacy is all well and good, but it's still it's still um uh in a position of power yeah you still have to step aside and let the person speak for themselves Mm -hmm. and so it's not just about like look like oh here like you know i don't know it's not about um speaking for for someone or speaking on behalf of someone because that's yeah that's still a measure that's still an action of power Um, it's about like stepping aside yeah, like using your power to create the platform. Yes, creating the space for them yes. to speak. Yeah. And so I felt like that was like a big moment for that, for Grisha, mm-hmm. for um, Suli, yeah. for um, women, which doesn't seem to be a big issue in this series. Yeah, women, not quite. Yeah, seemed to have like a really big role. So I liked that though, because yeah. and then it was just kind of like you got to see all the other identities at play mm-hmm. yeah. I liked because like I do get sometimes where it's like you have a historical uh fiction like sometimes people want some of those typical conflicts in there but yeah. also like the exploration of mm-hmm. a culture where the gender does not matter yeah in terms of power is really refreshing it is it is and like i love that we get to see it up against fierda where it very clearly is and so it's not that it just doesn't exist in this world yes it's that ravka has created a space where it's irrelevant yeah that there that there are civilizations that have moved past it and we get to see what that looks like Mm -hmm. um and not because i would say i would say grisha is the war on Grisha that Fierda has is a war on women. Yeah. And it's so very it's much tied very into much, that like witch hunt yeah. kind of style. Yeah. Exactly. Especially with like the gendered crime that they committed with the like the babies that they were making at that munitions mm-hmm. factory where they were trying, I guess like was it they were trying to like make an army? But like from scratch. I don't really know. It wasn't very clear what they were doing with them yeah um they were either they were experimenting or they were trying to make like yeah like an army or something yeah as opposed to like having to brainwash a bunch of them it's easier just to have them born that way like i mean and i think there was a lot of experiments going a lot of different kinds of experiments going on and that was like one of them um because then you obviously like saw what was going on with the shoe yeah which was a lot more violent and yeah yeah I loved Birkin. Oh, I loved he that was... he just said words and then like 
uh, Rayum, like, yeah. just, like, like he just like, like woke up. <laughs> yeah. Like at first I was like, oh, I wish we had that phrase like translated. And then we find out just like a few pages later. It's like, you don't want to know. It's just like a bunch of cuss words. It's just <laughs> cuss words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, he was like, te- he was like the only one that was able to like, kind of keep his sense of self in some way because of that talking of like world war and experiments yeah and things this really felt like oh like yeah a concentration camp like walking yes. through this and they're like bunk beds and they all like have so, like hollow eyes and just like mm-hmm. it was very and they've just um, like had the humanity kind of tested yeah. out of them like the will and, the yeah. yeah and so when that moment when when birkin was like like said those words and you learn that like oh he was teaching him whatever the language was i can't remember um, yeah uh to kind of keep them sane mm-hmm. that's like the kind of trauma that they went through and the kind of it was like um, a grounding violence yeah yeah what i do find interesting kind of looking at the difference in experimentation that fierda and shuhan did is that Fierda made them like these folkloric monsters, like they're witches. Mm-hmm. They're here to do like the devil's work yeah. to undermine Dell. Um, whereas Shu uh, Shuhan, where generally speaking, Grisha are accepted. It doesn't seem like there's too much conflict there. Um, it's more about wielding what they have yeah but to make they, them into weapons but that's what I mean is like instead of like it coming from like a cultural institutional place of hatred mm-hmm. of creating like this folkloric monster image that they spread around they literally turn them into monsters like one of them has horns on his head another one I think Rayam is the one that had like pinchers they've all got wings yeah. And it's not just that they've been like adhered to them. Like it just is them now because of the amount of like fabricator kind of warping that they did on their body. Yeah. And there's definitely a, how, how do you say like, um, big brother situation going on? Yeah. That's the only way I can think of it of just like a very totalitarian society. That's like, Oh, they volunteered. Yeah. And then, um, using their powers to militarize them. Yeah. So the common people probably don't even know that this is going on. Oh God, no! Yeah, because it's all so secret. Yeah, it's like I remember the word that you're trying to think of earlier, demagogue. Yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Good girl. Good girl. It finally demagogue. came. It finally came. Demagogue. Yeah, demagogue. Just you know, that's you know. I'm not gonna lie. Demogorgon was in my head for most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I learned what that word was when, when, um, uh, you know, New York or New York times or whatever called Trump that. And I was like, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, I get it. You're like to the Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. the Google. Um, no, I, I, I agree with that, especially because of the way that it unfolded after Queen Latif like admitted or not admitted but like showed up and caught them and then Rayam has the line where he's like well nothing's gonna happen you think they're Mm -hmm. gonna like charge them you think anything like any kind of justice is gonna happen 
and then she uh, Mayu is like giving her testimony and she's like at some point I started crying and I just came from the beginning and she's like laying out all of their crimes and even even though the queen the now queen can corroborate it with like doctor whatever his name is where he's like well actually your daughter said that Aries should have the throne um nothing happened to um Mackay yeah and there was just like it felt so much like the actual ending of 1984 where mm-hmm. he gets caught up in all of it and he gets kidnapped or I guess not really kidnapped because the the government he gets taken and tortured and then at the very end it just kind of like they say their goodbyes and they go on their way and the system continues the exact same way that it was because big brother was controlling the whole thing just trying to weed out the negatives yeah 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 it's um kind of the same thing with the darkling and queen maki is they they just become neutralized. They don't yeah. they don't really get defeated or crushed, but they just get muted or you know. Muted is a really good way to say it. It's like they're still there. Yeah. Especially because like the the darklings only stipulation was put up an altar to me. Mm-hmm. And so now they have they've had to legitimize him as a saint. And so like And I love that Zoya's like I you know, like I can't get used to that. Yeah. <laughs> No, and like I don't blame her. I yeah. was surprised that you I mean said that's yes what we're her. all thinking. Yeah. But I think it was it was almost like uh, they were just kind of desperate to get the fold. Yeah. Um uh figured out this is what he was offering. What harm can it do? Plus it doesn't mean that they, you know, it can't be like altered in the future, which is yeah. what like the next series is going to look like. Um, um and so I like that Zoya I like that it kind of didn't feel finished in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, sh- because you can't, you can't, I can't imagine Zoya just being okay with something. Oh God. Everything, yeah, no. you know, like she needs yeah, to kind yeah. of have like, she needs to be against something. So I'm glad that it was just like, she's like, it was just like Zoya just couldn't get used to this. <laughs> like, yeah. She's well, bending. she's sending them out (laughs) i don't blame her like for all intents and purposes the darkling has not been defeated and now he has like altars rising up like it might be a little bit easier to tolerate his new sainthood if she also knew he was dead yeah yeah like yeah eternal torture is great but wouldn't it also be great if he just wasn't another threat because they thought they killed him before yeah. yeah like they thought they killed him before and he didn't die and now they know they haven't killed him he's just kind of like sitting there yeah waiting essentially like he does. yeah that's because he talks about that all the time he's like i can wait another eternity i've done yeah. it once before yeah so for a book that was like i guess like a for a duology that was so kind of heartbreaking for the first one like the first one it felt like everything went wrong right and then especially even the first half of this book because the darkling got out david died which i guess we can get into that a little bit but like the scene where nikolai walks up and and jenny is just like i can't find him i can't find him and she's just like kind of insanely like digging at these rocks Uh was so 
it was it was like too real like the image in my head was a little too real for a second of like the crazed look in her eye and not being able to find him yeah they definitely I mean I know it was like their wedding but there was definitely like you know at, at the beginning when they're like oh the way that he like looks at her and he like oh my gosh and then they find his journal his like his notebook of like ways to help Jenny know that I love her ways to like yeah compliment oh my god hair eyes this and I was like if a man so and then the fact that Jenny could just put it on his pyre was yeah because it was such a personal thing yeah yeah and and then and if I found something like that I would I would almost be like oh like even I you know if it was about me I would almost be like oh I'm not supposed to read this kind of you know oh yeah a little too personal because Zoya makes that comment when she's watching Jenya throw it where she's like I feel like I shouldn't be watching this yeah yeah um but they like set it up that morning of just like oh they're just like so sweet and I just had this feeling. I know I was like I know. God I hope same. nothing bad happens same uh, and he was the only I think he's the only one we lost right right because so and they really um they really set us up well for this because David is just like barely speaks a word sits in the corner and reads like yeah. but you can he see just how doesn't speak he a lot to everybody but he yeah exactly he's like the backbone mm-hmm. um yeah and then he has you you get to see like this really new side of him mm-hmm. he's the fucking ansel i know you know what i mean like i know i i'm i'm gonna be able to pick out the one that dies so easily soon oh yeah if, if this keeps going on yeah like i just like i'm like oh we're gonna see the red flags it's someone who's not quite a main character he's He's too perfect. He's what everyone needs. He's like everyone looks to him for for stability, the purpose. Yep. Yes. Um. But then I think it was I think it's actually the scene after that where Nikolai follows Zoya to her garden, and we hadn't known until that moment what like Juris and the dragons phrase Zoya of the garden had meant. Yeah. But it's because the second that they like join her body and her mind, they know about her garden. And I think I actually liked that moment between the two better than the like under the airship, even though like under the airship, I had to stop reading for a second and like compose myself when like when I knew that what he was about to say, but this kind of like, it's these moments during slow burn, like love stories like this, where they haven't admitted their feelings to to each other let alone really themselves yet even though they're like they have the inklings they've got the like i shouldn't follow her why am i following her i don't need to follow her and as he's still following her and they just fall so easily into each other in this scene into comfort with each other i i think i enjoy that i like that scene between them better than any of like the kisses or anything even though the kisses were good but like yeah that intimacy there was so so well earned yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah i think the the book ended up being a lot happier of an ending which was nice yeah because the first one i think we had talked about this is that like the first one ends and i was like i need a palate cleanse i need to like 
something to make me feel yeah. a little better. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So yeah, this one felt very satisfying for mm-hmm. um not only all of the characters, but Ravka. Yes. Yeah. Which like I um I said in the last episode was um kind of almost its own character. Yeah. I was like, you know, everyone's got to take care of Ravka. Ravka is a, what did you say? A hanged man. The drowning man. Yeah. Drowning man. Yeah. Um, I think there's also this sense that like, we're not going to be seeing some of these characters again. Mm-hmm. So like for Nina, we might, I guess we, I guess we could see her in the same way that we saw like Alina this time around, mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like, she's in there for a chapter two ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like her story's wrapped up. And so I think part like part of the reason it's so happy is because we needed like a happy ending for some of these people. Right. Well, and I'm interested too, cause I, cause I hadn't read shadow and bone and I know that Zoya is in it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know like how much she was in it. She's you like know, one of the main to characters. Where, yeah. Yeah. So, th- and then she got more in these books. So maybe just maybe Alina, not Alina. Um, Nina and uh, Rasmus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like have like, like maybe they'll have like a bigger role. I hope because they're my favorite. I know, I know. I love that like the the defense or not defense, but the the justification that they've got for choosing a new name for Rasmus slash Hana is that it's going to be a calling from Gel. So like, basically yeah. like a political rebranding yeah which is also perfect and i kind of because in my head i'm like how are they going to explain this stuff but i'm like so basically what they've created this is this story where like rasmus and mila have found comfort in each other after the death of like hana Uh uh-huh which is also like a really sweet story it's like the really sweet gives him a, a chance yes. and now he's suddenly very sweet and he's compassionate and he's oh yeah. and like the possibility the political possibilities of that are endless endless yeah yeah, yeah that, that would be fun that would yeah. be super fun i'm excited for that yeah for that potential well, that might not ever be read, yeah. but it'll be created in my mind nonetheless well when her next books come out yes someday <laughs> someday we will have to cover them yes yes keep it going especially because like i kind of i i love hate that the constant thread between these is the darkling yeah and so i would like to see him put to rest literally and i'm tired of him (laughs) yeah and like we've only read the one but it's like because we also know that they've been like you get their baggage as well where it's like they've been dealing with this for their entire lives like i can't imagine like yeah i can't i i i support you zoya i think you should kill him he does not need to be waiting there in the wings for his next entrance (laughs) yeah for sure well i think that i think that wraps king of scars duology yeah i think it does it was really good. I liked the world. Yeah. And I haven't read Lay Bardugo before, and now I have. Same. And I feel like she has really good dialogue. And she is 
it was a lot more political than I thought it was going to be. Same. Yeah. I was pleasant. I was, um, it was pleasant, a pleasant surprise. Agreed. And I love that. Like, it seems like there's just endless stories to be pulled from this world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not surprised that this is the third series that she's written from the same universe because it yeah. seems almost like there's just endless, endless material in there. Yeah. So I hope she, well, who is it? Uh, Cassandra Clare does the Mortal Instruments series, which started as like just a trilogy and has turned into something like 30, 30 books over like several separate series wow. where it's like you've got like the modern and then you have the way way back like 200 years ago but then you've got only like 100 years ago and then you've got kind of yeah. like the post series from the original series like all of those and I kind of hope that she does that with this yeah like Bardigo does because there's it's so rich and when she adds elements um like with the saints and kind of like Juris would say that the stuff about like your idea of amplifiers is so stupid you should be the amplifier like when he dropped that it didn't feel like what's it called like I think it's called a retcon retcon uh when like the lore in something is just turned on its head for like plot Right. It doesn't feel like that. It feels just like, oh, that's always been true. And now we're learning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I love, I love this, this universe, the Grishaverse. <laughs> well, cool. Well then um, <laughs> I, next week, we tell us what we're going to be talking about, Melissa. Um, we is a strong word because I pretty much just like talk, yell at you for like two hours. <laughs> not true. Not true. About the gothic tradition which in literature in we literature. kind of knew going in that i was going to be the one talking more heavily but yeah it is going to be a two-part episode because i cannot shut up no yeah i mean we we both went on so yeah it was very it was very fun and enlightening and we did it on halloween so yes yes <laughs> it, it was did. extra festive yes um so next week um you can learn about the gothic tradition and literature by melissa marklin mm-hmm. um and for the next couple of weeks actually yeah. it'll be really fun and then i think uh coming up is a shadow in the ember which is in the same universe as from blood and ash so yes. we're like it just came out cool. yeah it's it it happens like years before or something it's got nictos in it so yeah so like centuries before i think yeah yeah so it's yeah so i'm really excited about that um and we're gonna start reading that soon and then eventually we'll be doing frankenstein so that's kind of what's coming up um but yeah until next week until next time happy reading happy reading bye bye
little too aggressively. And sometimes when he's imposed on your boundaries and he's like, you're invading my space and you're just like, well, you're on my lap. Yeah. I, I didn't put you there. <laughs> like this is um, my lap. Yeah. This is my lap. You don't bite me. Yeah. I will bite you. 